Hey everyone, welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Everybody's doing alright. Pretty cold morning here. And a lot of things going on. We are into a crucial stretch. Not only weather-wise, season-wise, but in terms of a lot of things coming up to be decided about. Uh... You know, it's going to be very important to see what transpires in some of these, uh, uh, you know, events and you know, especially the basketball games that are coming up in college basketball. You know, you just want to see everything go well. College football, as I mentioned before, um, heating up. Can't wait to break down those conference championship games. A couple of weeks to go for that. And I will be recapping the NFL Week 13 games in a little bit later on today. But I want to kick off things by talking about uh, another really good story um, in boxing. And, you know, as I've mentioned before throughout many of my episodes, um, a lot of sport athletes are passionate about their you know, respective sport at an early age. And there's many factors, there's many challenges, many things that they, they do uh, behind the scenes to be where they are today. And that journey in itself is very similar to what we do. You know, we go through the same things of working hard, doing where we can to get experience, try and turn that into something great. And... And the same thing goes for boxing. There's been many, many athletes across boxing, MMA, um, that have started out uh, in, a, in a unique way. Um, some tougher than others, but being able to shine through, make it through all those challenges, and take it as a positive experience, take it as a learning experience, and really working on themselves to be a really good person um, in and out of their sport is mainly the athletes do and the next person that I'm going to talk about is a great example of that that is Clarissa Shields you know Clarissa Shields is one of the best um, boxers that we've known uh, for a while people have been paying attention Uh, she's been one of the best boxers um, for a long time in women's boxing and you know there's always a lot of attention that goes towards the men's boxing obviously because of Canelo and Crawford and you know this goes on with Pacquiao Mayweather over the years but Clarissa Shields is someone who has made her mark um, really in uh, uh, meaningful fashion really getting out there and, and showcasing her strength her abilities um, every day and you know she is transitioning now to a MMA MMA uh, career after I believe she had you know been one of the best and youngest to win a lot of fights in boxing on the women's side and you know her passion her drive comes through in every single fight that she has. Um, the way that she's passionate about it is what I've talked about. There's a lot of other athletes throughout this, um, throughout my podcast, 
And Nicolessa Shields is one of those unique women who continues to work hard, continues to take on the challenges. She's also motivated by a lot of things. Um, and she pr- projects that confidence more so better than she used to in terms of the sense that you know, she's been able to just go out there and do her thing and make sure that she can, um, you know, overall represent herself as best as she can always when she's in the ring. So looking at what she has accomplished so far in her career, she is 10-0 in her boxing career. One of eight boxers in history to hold all four major titles in boxing. So that the WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBC. And she um, has been so good. Has fought, I believe, over the year. I think she won all these. Uh, she, you know, she unified all these titles last year. I think she had an early fight this year in January, February. Um, and she, you know, comes from a background that, you know, not, not, not people realize was really a, a tough thing for her, uh, but it really, you know, transformed her and made her who she is today. You know, she was born in Flint, Michigan, a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And she competed in London, the Rio Olympics, um... And she is truly amazing in terms of where she started. Like I said, she was born in Flint, Michigan, 25 years old. And in terms of her, you know, her coming up and her upbringing, I mean, she had a very um, difficult time. Um, and a lot of athletes go through this coming from a very, you know, unique background or something that uh, in their family that, you know, unfortunately happens or, you know, shapes them a little bit and for Coletta Shields you know she dealt with a lot of things at an early age um, with with poverty Um, you know her mother and father her father was actually um, I think you know dealing with drugs and stuff like that but you know he he wasn't he wasn't there um, for some you know two three four years and then unfortunately her mother had an issue with uh, you know Alcohol and all those things, but you know, Kalesa Shields throughout all those things, she she never let herself um, get you know down or depressed about it. She wanted to do whatever she could do to support her sister and little brother, and so you know, she became very independent at an early age, um, having to do things like you know cook. Uh, certain certain things because uh, they didn't have a whole lot of um, you know financial income at the at that point. So she was someone who just tried to make sure that everybody could eat and and have um, you know have something to to do. And I give her a lot of credit for her, that that perseverance and that patience. I mean, more and more we're seeing a lot of young women come up there, uh, come up here in the sport really working hard and trying to make themselves, um, you know, as presentable as possible. But she, you know, she does such a great job of, uh, of you know, making sure that she remembers her roots, but also making sure that she never, you know, she never lets it get in her way. And so, you know, I 
I've talked about, like I said, many uh, unique swimmer, uh, I think unique athletes um, in women's sports broadcasting and other sports. And they work so hard and a lot of women athletes should be, should be appreciated and supported. And people should really look at, their, look at their background and see that they go through a lot of similar things that, that the men do, but they go through it at, at a much you know, greater, greater level. And Colette Shields throughout her childhood and her early age, you know, she dealt with a lot of things in terms of her mother and father always being in and out of the house, trying to stay, you know, stay connected with them, trying to make sure that her brother and her sister could have a good, you know, environment around them. And she worked hard. She, um, she, you know, she did experience something that unfortunately did happen to her, but she never. You know, she she wanted to, to come out of that um, stronger, and her, her aunt and her surrounding family members had a big role in making sure that she could pick herself back up from what she experienced at a very early age. Um, and you know, she she kept fighting, she kept working hard to uh, do what she loves uh, and, and and was passionate about, and that was boxing. She was inspired by. Muhammad Ali and seen I think Lala Ali um, so she really wanted to do um, she really wanted to come out come out of that and make sure that she could uh, improve her life improve her lifestyle for her family and herself and so you know she was motivated to show her dad that she could box because I think initially her father was not up for her in terms of going for boxing and thinking that it was a men's sport and all that but you know Colessa she just wanted to change the narrative and that's what I like and appreciate about a lot of young women athletes they are challenging the status quo they are making headway in these respective sports that I've talked about and they just make it more better to watch seeing more diversity more equal opportunities um, it's great to see, and Kalesha Shields is someone who, you know, exemplifies that. Staying passionate about boxing, working at it a lot uh, throughout her years, making sure that she put herself in the best position to be successful, uh, to train, to compete, and she did that so well, despite all the things that happened in her, you know, in her childhood, and what she was dealing with. You know, she she wanted to go out there and be independent and show that she could be successful, that she is someone who people have to pay attention to and appreciate and respect. And she did that in a, in a, in a huge way. Um, you know, and, and eventually her father did agree to let her, you know, go out for boxing and compete. And you know it was a big victory for her. She wanted to do it, and um, since that point, then she really took off. Uh, she became very dominant as a fighter, competitive, um, and kept you know kept going on every night and proving to herself, to the world, and her family that she could be a great boxer. And she was. You know, she uh, ten and 0, two wins by knockouts. And, you know, now she's hoping to transition to MMA. 
where she signed a two-year thing. I'm sorry, not two-year. I think a multi-year deal in the professional uh, professional fighting league, which is in MMA, and she's hoping to compete in a couple of fights uh, next year, which should be really good. Um, one thing that she can really do well um, that will help her in the MMA is that she can throw, you know, hands of power. So she can um, overall adjust herself. I mean, she's already working so hard to be successful in transitioning to it. Now, not all MMA, uh, all boxing fighters are able to. Um, not able. Not all boxing fighters are able to. You know, transition to MMA. Very, very few have done it. Um, but she's confident in herself that with her style, her ability to, uh, you know, do everything at a great pace, that she will be able to be successful in the MMA. I'm rooting for her to do well. I think she has a drive and competitive spirit to be good at everything that she does. And, you know, the main thing is that um, with MMA, you have to really be ready for the for the different kind of formats and just kicks and punches involved so I'm very sure that she's going to be all in on this she has been preparing for this really, really well um, her Olympic gold medal run will definitely help her in the MMA for sure and you know overall her upbringing her background speaks for itself um, she you know loves to compete the highest level and has carried her this far in her career and I think that you know going forward she's going to be some a name to be talked about in MMA about you know she'll be talked about in the MMA as a good fighter hope she succeeds in doing so because things that she has gone through things that she has um, been working at I mean with every fight she got better and better been so she's been one of the best fighters um, I would say for a while and it all comes from her experiences and you know some athletes are able to you know share their stories and talk about it and she has done that in her own right I definitely encourage everybody to read about Clarissa Shields um, to see what she kind of went through at an early age things that she had to talk about to do um, it really uh you know, put her in a mindset of, you know, proving herself at an early age, realizing that, you know, she has to be independent, she has to do things for herself, and, you know, people will be able to support her and come to her, um, but she she knew that, you know, during that time that you know, no, no one's going to help her but herself, and she took that as a challenge, she embraced that, made sure that she competed well over the years, worked on herself over the years to be a stronger woman than she is today. And her results are paying off and I can't wait to see what she does um, in the fights that she'll have next year possibly. Now she does speak to you know school children regularly to educate them about being good leaders, not you know being involved in gang violence and all those kind of things. And she is an ambassador to up, uh, you know, up to us sports, which is a national, non-profit organization 
that supports you know undeserved youth people who are in poverty like she was at a very early age to you know to, su- to support them to give them those resources and 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 ability to have a have a have a good upbringing, a, a, a nice life, starting out, and you know, Caressa Shields um, doing this is a huge thing, and it all comes from her experience of having to, you know, take care of her brother and sister at an early age, being independent, sharing food and all those things, um, but not letting that consume her, not let that negativity of what was happening with her father and her mother affect her. She just was patient, she was honest with herself, and she worked through all these things as you know, her father did enter into her life, and you know, he did end up having an impact in terms of you know, allowing her to box, and the rest has showed up uh, in all her fights. She's been great, she's been very uh, you know, appreciative of the fact of the run she's had so far, and Heading into the MMA, I think she will be successful. Um, but the biggest thing that people should take away is that a lot of experiences, a lot of things that you know athletes do go through at an early age, like we do, and you know they work hard, they do the small jobs, they also put in the extra hours to be where they are, they, they are in terms of today, and. She is a great example of that. She inspires a lot of women, a lot of women athletes who are on the come up to to go, to, to go for their sport, to be passionate about it, not to, not to let the um, you know the common saying like oh women can't do this or they can't do that in this sport. They can. They've proven that in a lot of different ways, a lot of different sports, um, as I've talked about throughout my podcast, and to see her succeed and do well. Um, you know that's that's amazing that you know she has made made you know to this point in her career uh, in her life and I think the best is still yet to come for her and I can't wait to see um, see it come through in the years to come. So in this segment. I'm going to recap week 13 of the NFL season. Now there is still one game um, that is happening tonight between the Baltimore Ravens and the Dallas Cowboys. And you know, for the Ravens, obviously the biggest thing is winning the games they have left on their schedule. I do expect them to be a somewhat of a force. Um, or a factor down the stretch with Lamar Jackson's return. Uh, and I'll save Baltimore and Dallas's game, um, you know, as a game that, you know, I do have some, some interest in watching that game, but I'm more interested in the Ravens matchup next week against Cleveland on Monday Night Football. And so I will talk about the Ravens then. So there were some really notable games this past week, this past week on Sunday. Um, some tough games um, that didn't end so well for some teams, especially the New York Jets. But that uh, wasn't really Sam Darnold's fault, to be honest. And hopefully they will uh, be able to overcome that and do something these last couple of games. 
to avoid a, you know, a losing season or on, you know, a winless season. But, um, you know, that's a separate thing for another day. Um, but, you know, there were some good games on Sunday. And one of the games that I, I was talking about laying up to week 13 was the matchup between the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. And so the Cleveland Browns finally came through with a signature win. They beat the Tennessee Titans 41 to 35 in this game. And to be honest, uh, the Tennessee Titans really did not start out fast and didn't play well early on and Cleveland took it to them. Uh, Baker Mayfield had one of his best games all season long. Four touchdown passes in the game. He seemed to be in control. Didn't turn the ball over, I think. Uh, you know, so in the first half, you know, it's pretty lights out. Nick Chubb had a better game than Derrick Henry. I think he had maybe 18 carries for 80 yards, a touchdown. Henry, not so much. You know, they didn't get it going, obviously, because when you get behind by that many points, you gotta be able to pass the ball. And Tannehill, not exactly as good as I thought he would be. I thought he would really take this Cleveland secondary and really challenge them on multiple levels. But that did not happen as well in the first half. It did so in the second half, I would say. But well, the biggest thing about this game, um, I would say, is that, you know, the Browns defense didn't let him go wild. They didn't let Derrick Henry you know, run them over as much. They were able to pressure Tannehill on a couple of, throw, a couple of passes and throws. And the biggest thing is that Tennessee beat themselves with a couple of turnovers, you know. I think there was a fumble um, by Henry or another, another player on Tennessee. The Browns played mistake-free football, controlled the clock, and made sure to make the necessary stops when they had to. But when the Browns play with the lead, and this is the case with most teams, play with the lead, you know, you pretty much have to make sure you're playing consistently well in the second half of the game. And I think Tennessee did wake up eventually and started to challenge the Browns, but by that point, the Browns had already, you know, found a way to convert on some key third downs. They were 10 of 16 on third down in this game. Tennessee's defense, I expected much better from Mike Vrabel's defense. I thought that they didn't tackle well, and they did not execute well in the back end, and Mayfield taking advantage of that, made sure to make the timely throws he did, and really made the Browns uh, look good early on, and they carried that momentum into the second half. You know, gotta give Kevin Stefanski credit for his, you know, for this one. He really had a good game plan um, in this game. As for Tennessee, they missed a golden opportunity to stay in control of the AFC South. With them losing this game, they are now tied with the Colts in the division. The issue with Tennessee this season is that they cannot be consistent enough when they have to be. They've looked good, yes, against some of the winning teams this this season. They've played competitive ball in a lot of their games this season. But when they end up losing, um, they always seem to start slow, try to finish strong. 
And sometimes it works out, you know, for them. And sometimes it doesn't. Against Cleveland, they didn't, you know, they didn't get off to a good start. That defense, although she played much better, I didn't really see, you know, a good pressure from those guys. And they didn't give their offense a chance until it was too late in the game. So, you know, it comes down to playing your best ball early on and being consistent with it. And it just seemed like, you know, Cleveland, no matter what Tennessee was doing in the second half, Cleveland was going to find a way to win because they obviously were playing ball control late in the game, making sure that they kept the sticks moving. And they were able to do that successfully. As for the Colts, they bounced back with a 26-20 win over the Houston Texans. You know, the Colts responded with a better rushing attack in this game. The defense responded, although, you know, that was a big thing for the defense to come, come back and show that, you know, they are still one of the best this year with Leonard and those guys. They wanted to make a point, which they did able to slow down Deshaun Watson just enough and Phillip Rivers put together a good game so the AFC South you know still up for grabs and you know one of these teams will definitely secure a playoff spot with winning the division um, the other will be fighting for that wild card spot so we're gonna see you know Tennessee and Indy how these two teams finish it all comes down to coaching the way these teams play down the stretch against some of the top teams in the NFL and like the both teams did split you know the, the division series this year so it will come down to the matchups and I think as far as I know you know with the Colts playing the Raiders next week and you got Tennessee possibly playing Green Bay Green Bay or another team it's I mean they definitely are gonna have Tennessee is definitely going to have a tougher stretch, maybe, depending on how things go down the, you know, down the way. But I'm looking forward to seeing if Tennessee can bounce back and put together a solid stretch to make it back to the postseason uh, and not having to go through the wild card picture, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But, you know, Tennessee was deemed as the best team in the, in the division the season began they haven't always proven it um, but they really have to get it going in this late stretch here in order to make the postseason the Minnesota Vikings have put together an impressive run to be in consideration for the for NFC wildcard spot um, now they haven't really faced a challenging slate of games but they've been able to win those games either they win it either ugly or or in good fashion. But it all started with their victory against the Packers some weeks back. They pulled it out yesterday against Jacksonville in overtime at home. And they will be facing a challenging stretch of games coming up, starting with the Buccaneers, then the Bears, the Saints. So give Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Mike Zimmer credit for turning the ship around. They got a small chance to make it. Even at 9-7 would probably be a good record to get into the NFC uh, wildcard spot. And we're going to see if they can beat a team with a winning record because I don't think they have. 
outside of the Packers. I don't think they beat a team with, with a winning record. Maybe a team with a sub 500 record, but you know the true test of the Vikings will come in the next couple of weeks when they have have to play the Bucks, the Saints, and the Bears. I think that will be a key stretch for them. But the reason why they do have a chance now is because Arizona uh, has really hit a wall, as Kyle Murray best described it. Uh, the Cardinals have really disappointed the last two to three weeks. They are one and four in the last five games. They've lost three straight games: Seattle to the to the Patriots and to the Rams now. And the biggest problem with the Cardinals, and I was really hoping this team would be exciting and play much better when they did beat Buffalo, when they beat beat Seattle earlier this year. I thought they would do a better job of being consistent and playing and executing when they have to, and they seem to have not done that really, really well. The defense is definitely the weakness of this team. They just cannot get can, they cannot get turnovers um, um, at, at, you know, at a consistent rate their offense is reliable on too much Kyler Murray has to do a whole lot the running game is there but it's not um, it's not coming through in, in key moments of the game key stretches of the game this Cardinals defense was outplayed by the Rams on Sunday uh, the Cardinals gave up 463 yards of offense to Jared Goff and the Rams. And the Cardinals didn't help themselves either. They, they turned the ball over twice. Kyler Murray had a pick six late in the game, which ended up extending the Rams' lead. So it's all about those late game decision making calls, late game execution. And I'm looking at Cliff Kingsbury more than I'm looking at Kyler Murray. Although Kyler Murray deserves some blame for this loss, but I'm looking at Cliff Kingsbury. What are you going to do? You know, how are you going to coach these guys up harder? Because, you know, they haven't been responding as well the last few weeks. They've lost, yes, in close games. I'll give them that. Then They have not looked totally bad in their losses, but they have to be able to win the games that they're supposed to win. The game against the Patriots, they should have won. They know that they should have won. And against the Rams, they just did not have it. They did not have it when they needed it the most. They're at six and six now. Their games down the stretch are still favorable to them, but with the Giants playing better, with the Eagles with a, with a quarterback change, I mean, the road for the Cardinals isn't going to be easy. But they still have a chance because they're, you know, they obviously have played well against some teams. They've shown they can play well. DeAndre Hopkins is looking better and better, but it comes down to you know Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, getting it going. They gotta be better um, throughout more stretches of the game. The running game has to be better as well because it, it all cannot be on Kyler Murray offensively in this game. Now, like I said, the Giants. Um, are playing better and I haven't talked about the Giants as much because I'm not really sure what this team you know is or has been but the biggest thing that the Giants have done this season they have competed they competed well and things were looking bad for the Giants at 0-5 but I gotta give credit to Joe Judge Patrick Graham the defensive coordinator 
Giants have competed and a game that nobody thought they were going to win. Even me. They pulled off the upset against Seattle. Beat Seattle 17-12. And yep, most analysts probably picked a high score. Uh, people thought that Russell Wilson would give them so many fantasy points this week. And that did not happen. That did not happen. The Giants put together their best win of the season. And it primarily was due to the fact that this defense came to play. Leonard Williams and Jabril Peppers uh, really bringing the fight and bringing the pressure on Russell Wilson. Some big time plays by both guys in this game. And so they pressure Russell Wilson, sacked him five times in this game. They did not let Seattle um, hit the big plays down the field. Um, James Bradbury did a good job on DJ uh, DK Metcalf, who's been really dominant this season. And the Giants relied on a running game led by Wayne Goldman, who has been there for a while from Clemson, really proving his worth. As you know, Saquon is out and Devontae Freeman is out. The running game was really good this time around. Uh, Colt McCoy, the backup quarterback, deserves some credit for some big throws late. You know, he gave Giants a, ch- Giants a chance in this game to be in this game. Uh, but it was really driven by the running game and defense, which really came through. The Giants had 190 yards rushing um, in the game. And they played well. You know, they didn't let Seattle, you know, you know, stage a late comeback in the fourth quarter like Seattle always does. They made enough plays. They were able to pick off Wilson at one point in this game. So the Giants, you know, fought hard, competed well. Ingram and Slayton both looked really, really good. And Giants are now atop of the division at five and seven, tied by Washington. And speaking of Washington, they also pulled off an upset. Last you know, last night against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which they won 23 to 17. The Steelers were in control of this game pretty early on, um, but they did not maintain it well or finish well in the second half. You know, Alex Smith playing really, really well. Alex Smith playing well. Washington's defense bringing the energy with Chase Young and that group really shutting down the Steelers running game they had no running game whatsoever and that's the one thing the Steelers can't have going to the postseason they have to find a way to have a consistent running game you know James Conner may have not played or he wasn't reactive I'm not sure but their running game hasn't been um, as good the last couple of weeks or now they've looked a little bit out of sorts and so some teams may have start to figure out their philosophy and their style a little bit. So, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has got to be better. He did have an interception, I believe, that ended up, you know, putting the game away for the, for the Washington football team. So, you know, I look at that, and Alex Smith has been a quarterback throughout his, his, you know, throughout his career to play well, not to turn the ball on the turn ball over and he played efficient football you know he made some key throws on third down some big passes and 
The one thing that the Steelers did that I didn't really understand was the game was tied at 17-17. And, you know, there was about four minutes left in the game. And rather than have the Steelers rookie kicker kick a field goal from 45 yards, you know, they elected to go for it. And the reason why they had to go for it is because they didn't have confidence in that guy. They didn't want to put pressure on the, on the rookie you know, kicker. But you got to take that opportunity. I mean, why not take the opportunity and make that kick? Give the guy a chance to earn his roster spot at least. Chris Boswell was out for the game. He was out for the game, and so... The Steelers just decided to, you know, ride it out with with that offense. And the biggest thing for the Steelers, I would say, is that they could not convert on key situations. There were some key drops by the Steelers uh, wide receivers. And so they did not have it going. I mean... You expect Juju Smith-Schuster to catch the ball. You expect the guys to make plays. But they didn't make enough plays down the stretch. And I think that ended up costing the Steelers. And their undefeated season came to an end. So they are still the number one seed in the AFC, I believe. But the Chiefs are right there. Chiefs are right there. And anything can happen in the next couple of weeks. So looking at the Giants and the Washington football team. The Giants have beat the Washington football team twice this year. Um, But the last four games should be a a good stretch for both teams. The Giants' next four games, I believe, are the Cardinals, the Browns, the the Ravens, and the Dallas Cowboys. Whereas Washington plays, you know, the 49ers, Seattle, the Panthers, and Eagles. So the Giants' best hope is to finish 7-9. Um, because if they finish 7-9 and nine and they tie with Washington, then they will earn the NFC East title and a spot in the playoffs. But one week at a time for the Giants. I have some hope in them right now. I hope they don't let me down um, going forward. At least get, give, get, get, at least get themselves in a position to possibly have a chance to play in the postseason. Because that would be a huge win for Joe Judge in his first year as New York Giants head coach. Now, some of the other things that took place in Week 13. Carson Wentz was benched in the loss to the Packers. And Jalen Hurts made his debut. And it seems like Hurts will be the quarterback going forward for the Philadelphia Eagles this week. And think about Carson Wentz. You know, he had a huge speech and everything and all that. But... The Steelers, the Eagles are just a mess. They need a spark, and Doug Peterson had to do it to do you know, to make a change. But you know his his job, his coaching seat is definitely uh, under pressure. If they don't win a game rest of the year, um, Doug Peterson may be gone from Philadelphia, and you know no one wants to see that happen. But you know, this is a result-oriented business, and people have said it that Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz relationship has not been the best, and you know they are in trouble. 
There's no doubt about that. They have underperformed in a lot of areas on defense, on offense. Um, but the question is, will Carson Wentz you know, be the guy going forward for the Eagles next season is the biggest thing that has to be answered. And we may not get an answer until next season, possibly, or the offseason. Um, but Jalen Hurts gets a chance to show how good he was at Alabama um, to not play here for the Eagles. And if he gives them a spark and gets them going the right direction, there will be a, a you know a quarterback controversy for the Eagles in the offseason. One of the most surprising games that I didn't expect to see scored this way was the Chargers being blanked out 45-0. Patriots went in there to the Rams stadium, beat them 45 to nothing. And Cameron didn't even didn't even play that great even to be honest. In terms of passing. Rushing wise, yes, he played well enough. But the Chargers was just look really outmatched, outcoached, out hustled. Herbert, not the best game that I've seen for him in a while. You know, a couple of interceptions. They just struggled to get the ball going in any direction. And looking at Anthony Lynn, um, his time in LA might be up. You know, he's a nice coach, has done some good things over the years, but they have not won with this talent. They have not been able to compete in the biggest games and play well enough. And something has to change for LA. And it's got to start with the coach who hasn't been able to make good decisions for a while now. And I just think they, they need a change. I think Herbert needs a change of, of voice, a change of, uh, a change of you know, at a head coach position. Because this team is too talented to only have won three games this year. And the, the change will start with Anthony Lynn. He has to be let go at the end of the year because Herbert's potential is pretty good. This defense got to get healthy. They need a change on that side of the ball as well. And I think that the way, they, they don't want to ever look like they, they want, you know, they should not ever look where they lost against the Patriots on Sunday. Not being, being able to sustain drives, get stops on defense. They've got to change it around. Got to change it around because that will not work. You know, they, they drafted Justin Herbert. They put a lot into him. And they got to surround him with the right weapons and the right, right resources around him to be successful. As for Miami, Las Vegas, they are in prime position to make the postseason. Although I still think that depending on how Miami finishes, they may or may not make the postseason. Tua has played well. He is healthy. That defense is playing good as well. Um, but Miami still has a long way to go with a challenging game against the Chiefs next week. Patriots on the tap. So Miami is not you know, there yet. Las Vegas, same thing. The next couple of weeks will decide their outcome as well. We're going to see if they can actually win a couple of games in a row because that has been the biggest problem for them for a while now. And, you know, both teams are in a good spot right now, I would say, in terms of where they are right now in the, in the mix for the playoff seeds. But it's a long way to go, and Baltimore can still be a factor in this. 
if they end up winning the rest of their games and playing well down the stretch. Cleveland as well can't be slept on. So the AFC wildcard race is pretty interesting. Miami wasn't expected to be this good, to be honest. And they've been able to impress in many ways. Sorry. Um, you know, so they haven't, you know, Miami hasn't, you know, been talked about enough because they weren't expected to be this this good with Brian Flores. But a lot of people saw that, I would say, early on last year, the way they finished. And I think it bodes well. They have a good future ahead with Tua as their, as their quarterback. The question is, can they make it to the postseason? As they are behind Buffalo... Um, and it could make an interesting run for the NFC, for the AFC East, maybe, but it will be determined later on. The Chiefs winning as usual. Um, they got up to a slow start against Denver, but end up winning that game, you know, in convincing fashion. Drew Locke looked look better, but the Broncos have a lot of work to do on both sides of the ball still to be a good team going forward. And so, you know, overall, Week 13... You saw some pretty good games, some good action. There are a lot of teams still in play for a lot of seeding and spots and all that. Uh, question is, you know, which teams will step up and take control of their, their fate? Looking at Las Vegas, looking at Miami, looking at Cleveland and Baltimore. Um, all these teams will be playing each other um, coming up. And the Raiders, if they want to make the postseason, there's two games coming up on their schedule that they must win. And if they do that, then Derek Carr will maybe finally get some respect and attention um, as they try to make the postseason for the first time since 2016 or 2017, I believe.